Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, we're diving deep into the world of competition, incentives, and game theory with Liv Marie. With her unique blend of astrophysics, poker, and research, Liv offers a fresh perspective on how competition shapes our world. From the subtle and deceptive filters on social media, to the grind culture in sports, to the mullock trap. Join us as we challenge our understanding of competition and its place in our lives. So let's get right into it. Let's lean in and learn from the best. Why is competition important with yourself and with other people? Competition is, it's just such a like primal, fundamental part of not only our nature, but also reality itself. You know, it's one of the main forms of relationship and interaction. I'm not saying it's the main, but it's a major way of interacting. Sometimes you are operating in a sort of environment with some kind of scarcity and thus, you know, you need to compete for that. And sometimes you're in an environment of abundance and you don't need to compete. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, what is cool is if you can develop the sort of wisdom to be able to choose oh, you know what? Competition is the best way to get this thing done. Competition is a bad way to get this thing done. Let's collaborate on this. So, you know, competition is this kind of neutral tool that if used wisely can create wonderful things, but if used unwisely, it can create very bad things. So it's an important part of our world. It's not going anywhere as far as I can tell, but I think as a civilization and as a society, as human beings, we need to spend more time really like reflecting on this concept of like relationship and, you know, modes of interaction and like asking the more meta question of should we be competing here or should we be collaborating Mm. or some kind of hybrid model? And I don't think we're doing that enough. Let's talk about like maybe work, right? There's times when people will incentivize with, hey, if you do X, you get this amount of money. Sometimes that can backfire. When do you see competition stimulating productivity? So, I mean, it can do it in two ways, right? It's sort of like the classic carrot and stick. Sometimes through a process of competition, you can have positive incentives rewarding, you know, if you say, look, there's this one fixed prize or there's first place gets this, second place gets this, and it's a little bit less. So you're sort of essentially creating a form of scarcity to incentivize people further for a thing that you feel like they're not sufficiently incentivized enough to do. You can also sort of do it through the form of like negative incentives. Like if you don't achieve this first or in the appropriate way, then you're not going to get that particular thing or this unpleasant thing is going to happen. So, you know, there's two ways of doing it. Generally speaking, as a a fairly firm rule of thumb, you want to do the positive incentive. Positive incentives are better than negative incentives. But Again, I don't think all things are off the table, but more importantly, we just need to realize that incentives are what make the world go around. And a lot of people sort of seem to go through life just not really thinking about incentives in the first place or not putting the conscious effort into like think about how to design them in a way that's actually going to create overall positive some outcomes. Um, Do you think about this when you're creating content? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I mean, you know, I've just launched a podcast literally called Win Win and it's made basically like an exploration of this topic. You know, I'm trying right. to speak to people who, whether they're in a certain line of business or, you know, they're, they're in art or science or whatever, like evolutionary psychologists, biologists, to hear all different perspectives on like how incentive, competitive incentive structures work, you know, work within their industry, but also how 
their own relationship with competition as themselves, you know, as people, do they like, would they describe themselves as competitive Mm -hmm. or do they hate competition? And if so, what aspect of it do they not like? So I am trying to create these days content that incentivizes people to think about what I believe are the important things. So as I said, the podcast, get people to think about how to be make more win-wins. I've also been making these short films about this thing called Moloch, which is kind of like- Let's talk about Moloch. It's super interesting. Just for the audience, what is it? And it's kind of this broad thing. Yeah. Well, so Moloch originally was this demon god thing told in a Bible story that was like, serves as a warning. So apparently 2000 years ago, whatever, there was this horrible cult that was so desperate to win at war, you know, win their battles, that they were willing to sacrifice almost everything they cared about, up to and including their own children, which they allegedly would like burn in a bonfire of an effigy of this thing called Moloch, because they believed that by making this like ultimate sacrifice, it would reward them by giving them all the like military power they could ever dream of and they could win all their wars. And it's a really powerful metaphor for this idea of like sacrificing too much in the name of winning, because it is absolutely a sort of very toxic mindset that whether people are born with it or like they can develop it or whatever, that can sort of infect people essentially, make them like lose sight of the bigger picture and just like you become so narrow focused on this goal that you end up sacrificing too much. And particularly like things that might harm other people, you know, you end up doing in the name of trying to win whatever your little game is, you might cause a bunch of like negative harm to the rest of the world. Like classic example is countries getting caught up in an arms race where they're like, oh, we've got to beat them, they're our enemy. And so they end up having to pour more and more of their like resources and GDP away from, you know, taking it away from things like healthcare and like things that, you know, infrastructure for their citizens and pouring it all into like crazy military programs. You know, that's an extreme version of like this same kind of process that I like to call like a Moloch trap. So you've got like the Moloch mindset, which is this like pathological need to win where you end up doing very bad things in the process. And then there's like this sort of more broader concept of a Moloch trap, which is where a game is so poorly designed that it incentivizes the players within it to do what are rational actions in the short term. But if everyone ends up doing them, creates bad outcomes for the whole. So a very like current day example of this I like to give are these beauty filters that are now everywhere on social media. I'm sure, you know, if anyone who's used Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you, the platforms offer you like, oh, would you like to use this nice filter that makes your eyes bigger and your lips bigger? And, and some of them are very over the top. So I, I actually don't mind those ones as much. It's the really subtle ones that I think are particularly insidious because, you know, I played around with these myself. I saw the I videos. Right. And these things are really impressive. Like, but what's interesting is that I would upload a picture that I, like, let's say I have a picture I love, I'd upload it and then I would apply the filter to it. And now I don't like the original picture anymore because they're so effective at triggering whatever like the dopamine is in our minds that we find like just these certain things about features. If you use them sufficiently, they make you then start not liking your natural face. You prefer this artificial version. But the thing is, you know, so individually and like you speak to almost any woman and then any person who's like tried to these things out a bunch, they're like, yeah, these things are bad. These are not good for our mental health. And yet everyone ends up using them anyway, or not everyone, but a lot of people, and particularly influencers, are using these more and more and more because 
of it, it's a crappy bollock trap because influencers are sort of they're competing, right? You're competing for likes, you're competing for follows, money, um, money, endorsements, attention, etc. And so Moloch is, is like incentivizing you to, you know, use whatever, you know, latest weapons, you know, what technologies you can to get ahead of your opponents. And so if it offers you these filters on a plate, like, here, use this, this is going to get you. You're, it, the rational thing to do if you want to actually get likes and follows is to use them. But if everyone, but that forces like the next person to do the next person and everyone ends up sort of then kind of having to do it because you're going to get left behind the curve. But it makes everybody miserable. Chances are, if you are pulled everyone, they'll be like, yeah, actually, can we all just agree, stop using these? But because of the design of the game, there's so many people and the incentives are so strong and it's easy to sort of defect quietly. Like no one knows. <laughs> these things are so subtle. You don't know if you're using them. You don't know necessarily if someone's using them. Then people will start doing it again. Like it just takes a few people and then the whole thing sort of falls down again. So that is an example of a Moloch trap. It's kind of analogous to like being in a stadium. Let's say a concert starts and everyone's sitting down and has like about the same amount of view, essentially. But then a few people near the front get excited and stand up. Well, now the people behind them, if they want to keep watching up. the concert, also have to stand up. And the people behind them, behind them. And now everyone is having to stand up. And because it's so loud and the music's playing so loud and there's so many people, there's no way to like just yell, hey, everyone, this is stupid. Can we all sit back down again? Like, you know, no one's now like really got any better. Everyone's not got a better view than before. And, and now they just have to stand for three hours. So, but because of the sort of design of the game, you know, like the sort of incentive gradient, it's like, it's like perched on the top of a hill and just a little nudge makes it roll down into this like equilibrium that makes everyone worse off than before. So that's what Moloch does. Basically it designs these crappy games that are really hard to coordinate in and games that are sort of like negative sum, you know, they make the world worse off. I'm not saying it's a real, it's, Partly the reason why I like using this like metaphor of Moloch is because it's such a like hard thing to describe. What we're really talking about here is like a collection of game theoretic incentives that are misaligned, you know, short-term rational, but long-term irrational for the whole. This plays out in so many different ways. And I, I totally see it. Like when I watch these, by the way, your acting was fun in the <laughs> videos. I'll put a link in the show notes. People need to watch Thank this. You. When I was in sports, they called it grind culture. So it was like, you know, from July to February or January, it was seven days a week, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. These folks wouldn't, these coaches would never see their kids. It was just sad. And because somebody else is going to be doing more work, they're putting in more hours, right? And one of my close friends, I won't say which team he's with now, but he used to run selection and development for special forces. And he was exiting that, and then he ended up working in professional sport. And he was like, football at the pro level, in college level, is the most inefficient sport ever. If you told these people you had to be time-constrained to eight hours, they'd figure it out. But it's like, well, Monday, we got a game plan. We got to be in at 6 a.m., and we're going to leave at 2 a.m. And then they wouldn't know their kids. It was just a vicious cycle. And then their homes would erode. And so guess what? They want to stay at work. And uh, their health would be sacrificed. And if you watch the NFL season this year, go take a snapshot of whatever team, whatever coach, and go look at how their health degrades over the season. Everything that they're doing is setting them up for poor performance. Because who are the decision makers? The coaches and the players. They're always on the players by getting up for sleep. Yet they have huge bags under their eyes. They gain weight over the season. And they're in the worst possible shape 
at the most important moment. So when I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, totally true. And we fall into these little traps thinking that the outcome that we're seeking needs to be driven by these specific actions and it's total bullcrap. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do me a favor. Just go take a minute and leave us a rating and review on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.